Hello, it's John Smallwood and Edward Bow. How is everybody today on this Monday, June 1st? I cannot believe it is Monday, June 1st. Where did the time go? Crazy. Crazy, crazy. So I have a very special guest on today, Jeffrey Clark from uh, Jackson National Life Insurance in the Advanced Strategies Department. And Jeff has a tremendous amount of experience in the industry. He worked for Guardian for many, many years. He was in, in charge of their retirement center of excellence in, in Manhattan. Um, he frequently lectures at the MDRT and other industry-related things. Jeff is very knowledgeable in what I want to hit today as far as distribution, planning, retirement planning, and, um, you know, making sure that the money lasts for the entire time frame of retirement. Uh, Jeff, welcome. Thank you, and good morning. Can you hear me okay, guys? I think so. I think all the technology, we're having a little bit of technology problems with screen sharing, and uh, I think we figured that out. Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, we're going to skip all the what's going on today, and we're going to jump into this presentation because we believe this is super important as we as we move forward out of this um, pandemic, out of the Hong Kong crisis, out of the domestic uh, crisis that we now have, out of the oil crisis that we have, the financial pressure that we talk about on a weekly basis has never been higher. Um, so the presentation that we focus on consistently and i can't get my hang on a second what we're constantly talking about over the weeks is that when we approach retirement what ed and i have found and my father who my father and i work together for 25 plus years we frequently discuss uh weekly usually after a long day i have a good conversation with him about what's happening but that financial pressure never ceases. It comes when we don't expect it. It lasts longer than we expected. I would never believe that I would be sitting here uh, on June 1st still talking about lockdown um, and pandemic. You know, we just didn't think that was gonna be the case. And, and that's the thing that we keep talking about is that you can't predict the outcome. And the in the retirement planning side, We've always looked at the pressure being long, the higher the distribution rate is for the client, the more pressure that puts on and the longer that that income has to last with inflation and market volatility and planned obsolescence and technological change and stuff happening, that pressure becomes greater and greater. And one of the things that we wanna talk about today is how do we reduce that pressure as we move through the retirement side. And what Ed and I have talked about is having a certain percentage of the income guaranteed so that when you hit retirement, you might have a pension, you might have social security, but how much of that daily monthly burn that you spend needs should be or needs to be covered by some sort of guaranteed income that when you go to bed at night, you're not stressed out that you actually go to bed. Um, so I'm going to turn the presentation over to Jeff. Now I'm driving the the moving of this, so we got to get the rhythm down. But as soon as we get that rhythm down, I, I think drive. <laughs> so this is going to be quite a quite quite a lot of fun. And uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I'm Jeff Clark again, and uh, I actually authored this presentation, so I, I have a lot of uh, you know. I, I guess I'm a little passionate about some of the material here because I've seen a lot of family members and I've seen a lot of folks that I've worked with over the 30 plus years that I've been in this business struggle with a very fundamental equation, which is not so much building wealth. I think that we've kind of got building wealth down to a science. It starts with you saving money and that's, and that's the start. And then when John and Ed are working with you, they have all kinds of tools to help you accumulate wealth uh, and diversify wealth and hold on to that wealth that, that you're accumulating. And that's what this presentation is about climbing the mountain you almost have to think of like we're building a, a pile of wealth over our working lifetime because when we cross and we hit that summit now suddenly we're you know hey sounds like coming down the mountain is going to be a lot easier we can start de-accumulating that wealth and turn that pile 
into a paycheck for life. And what's interesting is I live in Colorado. I'm coming from Denver, Colorado. I still have a little CS gas uh, in, in the neighborhood here. I'm just a block from the governor's mansion. And uh, it's been a little exciting uh, in many big cities, but uh, that's a whole other matter. But, you know, when I'm looking out at the Rocky Mountains and I, and I think about mountain climbing and, and my nieces and nephews uh, that, that live out here with me love to climb mountains. And we know that about uh, mo the majority of people get up to the top of the mountain just fine. I mean, we have a lot of tools. There's a lot of energy, a lot of thought goes into that. But the 75 percent of the accidents, injuries and gods, darn it, occasionally deaths don't happen on the ascent. It happens on the way down. And it's because sometimes we get so focused on the summit and then we forget that we're only halfway there. That we might have to, and again, we, you know, think about it. We could spend 30 years or more building wealth, and many, uh, many people will spend 30 years or more deaccumulating that wealth, and that's kind of really interesting. 30 years or more, and now I'll share with you uh, why I say that, because that, that, that could be startling to some people, and that's really where the problems are when you're climbing Everest or or Pikes Peak or whatever. It's coming down the mountain because it's a different challenge. Now, what does crossing the Retirement River Rubicon have to do with anything? Uh, my co-author, uh, co his name is uh, Chris, is an attorney, he's a student of history, and he, and he, 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 he thought about this gentleman, uh, perhaps you heard of him, his name was Julius, Julius Caesar, and he came to the Rubicon River that uh, separates Gaul or modern France from Italy, and he decided to cross the Rubicon. And you might have heard that phrase, we've crossed the Rubicon, and this is where it comes from. He crossed the river, and he had no idea when he crossed it with a thousand or more of his closest friends, called the Roman Legion. And he was declaring war on the Senate and people of Rome. He had no idea how that would work out. He said, the die is cast, infamously. I, I could say that in Latin if you wish, but the die is cast. He says, I have no idea. I'm just gambling. I have no idea if this huge change in course is going to work out well or not. And our fear is that when people get to the summit and they start coming down the mountain and they're, they're turning their pile into a paycheck, are they just rolling the dice? Are, are we just hoping that things work out well? And, 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 Maybe they will, maybe they won't. So I'll ask John to move on. Okay, so you know, it, again, I've been in the business for 30 years, and as I've worked with people, they all kind of had the same question when I've worked half of my career in the space of traditional pension plans. You know, remember those those things that are, are quite the uh, playground of state and local governments today? Uh, but I actually would design plans for corporations and business owners. And when people ask me questions, be they the CEO of, of, or CFO or just a, a participant of the plan, you know, how much do I have? How long will it last? What can I take? What can I expect? These, these are very typical questions that you should have when you're planning your retirement. So I'm going to ask John to move on. And here are some specific questions that I think that are universal. When can I retire and how much can I expect to spend? And back when we had traditional pension plans, I could say, hey, at age 65, you know, you can get 60% of your of your average salary. And we can do that on top of Social Security. And you can say, oh, that's fantastic. I, it doesn't, you know, this is something that I can grasp and I can build on. What if I left early? Well, maybe you won't have 60%. Maybe you'll, it'll be a little bit less, but you can go on to a second career, bake artisan bread, follow your dreams, your passions, do whatever, but you'll get a consistent paycheck for life. And oh, by the way, if you left today, I've got a check with your name on it for $1,500 a month that will last as long as you love. So you don't have to say you're at 65. This is a pension that I have, uh, but it was frozen 15 years ago because the employer that sponsored that plan, like many employers, I'll ask you to, to advance the slide. We went from about 60% of businesses sponsoring a traditional pension plan to less than 4% today. And two years ago, that was 12%. You know, they've kind of gone the way of the dodo bird. And, and, and why is that? Well, you know, we've lived in a 401k world. And I, and, I, and I posit to you the answer is because providing a paycheck for life is not easy. If it was easy, Social Security would be fully funded. It's not. If it was easy, General Motors would still have a pension plan for its non-union employees. They don't. It's a very difficult thing because, uh, and we're going to explore that. So let's move on and say what it was replaced by. And maybe this was replaced by you in an IRA or a SEP or a simple or investments or 401ks. All these things are called defined contribution plans where I, I tell you how much you're putting in and I tell you that how we're climbing that mountain. But I don't really give you a lot of hints as to how to what that's really going to do. So, you know, when can I retire? How much can I get? Let me give you the required answer before the SECURE Act was passed in December. You have $24,000 in large cap stocks in this plan today. Oh, what if I retire early? You have $15,000 in bonds today. 
What if I left now? Hey, you're 80% vested in your pie charts and color. Any questions? <laughs> yeah, I, I have really good questions. You didn't answer any of them, but you know, there, there, there was no way to actually answer these questions. And if you think that this data is answering those questions, you're right. Advance the slide. It's this information. This it's this information that we sit here. And you're like, okay, well, what does it tell me about the client's lifestyle? What does it tell me about the, the pressure that they have coming? The colleges and you know the grandkids and the kids need money and all the stuff. I mean, it's just like it's it doesn't make sense. So or the things you, or the things you don't even know about. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Ed. I was gonna say, if I was a 40 year old man, am I on track, am I not? You know, what's this gonna mean? You know, there's not a lot of hints and the Secure Act kind of came out and said, you know, you have to start telling people how this pile is gonna turn into a paycheck because they listened to what this guy said, his name is Robert Merton, and you can advance that. And Robert Merton is saying, hey, look it, you know, if you think this is insane, then you can win a, win a Nobel Prize in economics like I, like I did, it is insane. You know, turning a pile into a paycheck is difficult and it's very difficult math and it's very tricky. And if we don't, pay attention to that, it's leading us, our families, and our society to disaster. And the only way to avoid disaster is to put the focus back on those questions. And that's what the government is going to challenge 401k administrators and employers to do, is to give you some hints and some clues as to what that pile could actually be. And Ed and John are trying to take that IRA that you have and give you some hints and clues as to what that might expect to do and how it can integrate into a plan. So that's what we have to do, because at the end of the day, and when I point to you, I'm, I'm saying, move the, move the slide. <laughs> <laughs> move that slide. That's for sure. <laughs> I, need two screens. I, got, I need two screens. I only got one screen. I'm a little technologically deficient this morning. <laughs> so, so I don't have, have some rhythm things. It's kind of like dancing. It's like, you know, I'm leading, but, you, but you're leading. Uh, I keep stepping on your foot. Planning are widely different, and they need different. There are different mathematical problems, and we probably need different tools and approaches to get you safely down the mountain and through retirement. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Hey, hey, Jeff, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, in your opinion, I think a lot of the industry is his focused on the accumulation phase, whether it's small and wealth or anybody else, you know, it, I'm going to say not actually small wealth, but, the, you know, the people that are in the industry, the other, some other advisors, they're really, con they're re they all do a pretty good job with the accumulation side, but I think they don't understand the, the going down the mountain part very well, and that's where it gets gets people in trouble. Yeah, that's exactly right. Not only uh, people in the industry, but uh, the New York Times, uh, which which I, I I read, and I just saw an article the other day said, hey, everything's going to work out fine. Just take out a sustainable draw. And I see some of the some of the pitfalls that I'm going to talk about in the popular press and on television. I see people on television saying, hey, all you need is a cheaper index. Come to me because you know I have your accumulation needs in mind and I'm not gonna talk to you about what that really means. And, and again, it sounds easy, but we, we know it's not easy because General Motors can't do it. Social Security can't do it. The state of New Jersey is having a real hard time doing it. So how is it gonna be easier for you and I to do without help? And that's what I'm saying. It's a very difficult equation. You can just look at the slide that uh, that John brought up that shows you the challenge that we have. Because if you had a million dollars, that sounds like a lot of money, you know? Wow, not a lot of people have a million dollars. But but you would think that on top of Social Security, this million dollars should go a long way. And back in 1990, it did. You know, if I was just buying bond ladders and investing into bank CDs and things of that nature, I could expect to get nearly $100,000 a year. But this, again, mountain chart is, unless you're a snowboarder like my nephew, this is not exciting. This is scary as your paycheck, if you're just living on interest and, and bond coupons and things, uh, has been generally trending which way? And what's interesting, just uh, when I wrote this presentation a, a year and a half ago, uh, things were just picking up from, from zero. And guess what uh, happened with COVID-19? We're, we're back to zero and we have a president who's saying maybe we should have negative interest rates. Maybe maybe you should pay me to, to have money in retirement. That sounds a little insane. I don't think even countries that have negative interest rates where the banks are actually charging you negative, the banks are paying, but they're paying zero. And if you have a million dollars earning zero, I have a very simple solution as to what your retirement income would be if you're trying to live on the interest. It would be zero. And that's scary. That is really well, I'm scary. Paying, I'm, I'm, paying you, I'm paying you to store it. Um, yeah. Even you know, like Middle Ages, you know, to, to have the guy with the gun to, to keep it safe. You know, I'm going to pay you for that. Right. Uh, you know, well, I put it in my moat in my castle. But yeah. I think this is really this is an important slide because 
you know, this chart basically, you know, I started in the industry in 1990 as well as you did. And what was interesting is we were coming off of a period where it was extremely easy in hindsight. It didn't seem like it at the time because you were, you know, coming off the 87 correction and people wouldn't go into equities and it was like a completely different world. But it was it was very easy to say, hey, I'll put my million dollars in this seven, eight percent CD or nine percent bond or you know, it was seventy, eighty thousand dollars. And we're sitting here, you know, 30 years later, and the purchasing power with inflation and the interest is just it's devastating. It's just it's very hard to get this cash flow to really generate consistently. And you can see the chart. There's no consistency here. Yeah, you're right, but it's been a, a trend straight down. And that's the big thing, Ed. Yeah, inflation hasn't, it doesn't, inflation isn't this trend, right? Inflation is either, it's either been level or going up. So that, that's a problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah, when inflation is expected to be 2%. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a problem. But thanks, John. Yeah, advance it. It's just a mathematical problem. It's just simple math. And if you think you can go alone and you don't need any help, and you don't need John or Ed or anybody to help you, please write down this formula because this is the formula that you need to turn a pile into a paycheck. It's the same formula that we use at Jackson Every Insurance Company. It's just math. There it is. But if you really start, <laughs> and I say that facetiously, and I ask you to, to click the slide, because it's, it's a mathematical formula with two independent variables. Providing a paycheck for life, the first variable should be very obvious. How long is life? How long is life? Now, I live in Colorado, and some people live in the state of Washington, where we have assisted suicide laws, and maybe some people can determine that. But most people don't want to determine that. Most people have no idea. And believe it or not, that variable is actually more volatile than the next variable that we think is the most volatile one. And that's not how will the markets do yesterday or how are they doing today, but how will the interest rates and markets perform when? Tomorrow and 10 years from now and 20 years from now and 30 years from now. Believe it or not, again, that's less volatile than life expectancy. And you put this together and you're going to have some people that succeed. And quite frankly, working with advisors and if you just have money and you're, you, you're paying attention, a lot of people can find ways to succeed and that's okay. But there's a fairly large minority of people, maybe 20 to 30% or more. And I think the government really fears there's just a lot of underprepared people. So it's going to be from a percentage basis, much higher that are just not prepared. You probably see stories about people that can't come up with $400 if they have a crisis. Those people have absolutely zero in their 401ks and IRAs. That's going to be really, really hard to have a successful yeah. retirement. So, and the longer, you know, the longer the longevity, you know, side of the equation goes and the lower the interest rates or the higher the volatility is, the more people that, you know, will bend towards the failure side than the success side. Um, That's fair. That's exactly the fear. And I think there's some validity to that fear. So there's a couple approaches that you use, John. I know that that, uh, that, that in our conversations, the first one is to get people to save and to, and to focus on a destination and start building because that's kind of like we're climbing the mountain. We know where the, the summit is and we start building toward that summit. And believe it or not, mountain climbing is a little bit easier than financial climbing because the summit's not moving. <laughs> okay, The summit's there. <laughs> Uh, you're going to see in, in, in just a slide or so that that that, that that's a, a, a tricky thing. And the second side that we see always in the news or uh, in the press or in Kelvin commercials is, hey, I don't care. Just give it to me and whatever it has and I'll make it last. I'll make it work. We'll find a way to make it work together. We'll, we'll take out what's called sustainable withdrawals and we'll get through it together. So let's kind of examine this conventional wisdom a little bit more under a microscope and, 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 and take a look at it. Here's actually a, a website that I go to, my401k.com which is where Mr. Jackson has its 401k and where me and Mrs. Clark have a significant portion of our wealth. And if I said my goal is to have $50,000 a year when I plan to retire for me and my wife on top of Social Security, and I turned on that computer just a couple of years ago, then there's the destination. The summit's $603,000. That's how you have to do it. And that's what it would take. Next slide. But is that really yeah. true today? And that, and, that, and that number, I mean, I'm just, I want us to stop here for a second. Yeah, please. You know why that's the summit and we're, and we're and we're going up the mountain towards this number what i find for myself and what i find for most of my of my clients is more like the horizon as you get closer to the number the security of that number becomes less and less like i need more i want more i i need a bigger buffer 
I need more security. So that number, and then there's things that are crashing down on the number, taxes, market volatility, that sure. are impacting it. So, you know, as you become, you know, as your hair grows longer over the time frame of something, or you, right. or you, or whatever the heck it is, it's just that number. I think is such a a misconception. It's not about a number. It's about what the number can actually, you know, what's it, my lifestyle and relationship to that to that number. I think oh, that's, that's really a key thing. That is so perfect because again, you know, yes, what that number will provide. Remember, I said I want fifty thousand dollars a year. My number was six oh three uh, back in two thousand five, six seven eight, and then something happened along the way to our retirement success in the Clark household. They moved them out. That number became $900,000. Why? Because the interest rates went down after the financial crisis. And then the actuaries updated their studies and they said, you know what? People are trending to live longer. So I have a lower interest rate environment. Markets are more volatile and people are living longer. You need 900. And then today, it's actually 1.2 million because interest mm. rates are zero. $1.2 million. Wow. <laughs> that is scary. So again, you know, the you change the rules. It's kind of, kind of like, you know, can you imagine playing football and they move the goalposts, uh, in, you know, in between every series? I mean, how would you ever play the game? Yet that's the game that you're asked to play. It's the game that General Motors decided not to play. It's the game that Social Security has to play, and they prefer not to, but, you know, some people have been trying to privatize Social Security for years. I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable and happy that it's not privatized because I want the government that can print electrons to help me uh, with that base. I, I need more pension, not less. Continue. Yeah. So, all right, let's just take whatever it is and make it last. And the New York Times just said uh, in January of, of last year when I picked up the, the Times and it said, all you have to do is spend 4% adjusted by inflation and you'll be fine. And maybe that's true, maybe that's not. Let's let's examine that. Because at the end of the day, we, we have some issues when it comes to investments. I don't know if you noticed, the stock market, even though it went up for a good 10 years, doesn't go straight up, never has, never will. And if you diversify your portfolio, again, summiting the mountain, we have tools to get you there and, and get you there safely. And I think, again, at the end of the day, that is where everybody puts their effort. And then the Chicago Tribune observed this. They said, hey, look it, if you want to grow your wealth, invest for growth. And growth is generally stocks and bonds is a way to hang on. And if you mix and match growth and, 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 and bonds and other types of investments, you'll build your wealth over time and hang on to good chunks of it and don't bet against the markets, not even when COVID-19 has us flat on our backs. Don't bet against industry, don't bet against America, don't bet against the markets. But what about when you're taking money out? And I asked my staff to crunch some numbers because my father died when I was writing this presentation. He died a couple of years ago. And uh, when he died, Alan, that's the John and, and Edward of, of my father's life. I had introduced my father to Alan uh, uh, 25 years ago. And uh, he and my father got into a lot of mischief, building stocks, bonds, cash, and other. And then when my father died, he, Alan came to the house with a binder and he showed my mother, who is an Italian housewife who raised five kids, did not have a need to know. Actually, she, she could have known anytime she wanted. She just didn't care to know. She just trusted that my father was the good provider and everything was going to be fine. And then when he died, she suddenly asked those questions. Do I have enough? Is it going to last? And when Alan showed that my father died with more money than he started with, and I knew that, but she didn't know that. She burst into tears, ran into her bedroom and slammed the door shut. Whoa, where did that come from? John hmm. or Ed, do you know what, what my mother told me when I went to the bedroom and asked her why she was so upset that she had more money than she thought? What do you think she said to me? Less enjoyment? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, she said, you know, if I had any idea, we would have spent some of it when your father was alive. And now it's too late. Hmm. He wanted to drive a Cadillac. He bought a Chevy. He wanted to golf with his younger brothers at the Briarwood Country Club, which was the old Bethlehem Management Club where he was an executive. But he golfed at the public course down the road with an annual membership because he didn't think he could afford it. He could have afforded all of that and more. He could have given more to the grandkids. He could have done so much more. We could have done so much more. But he hoarded hmm. it. Why? What was the word that forced my father to hoard it? He was fearful. Right. He was afraid. And why was he afraid? And he was afraid because he didn't know how long life was and how the marks would do. Now, he suspected because he had smoked when he was younger and the military and things that he wasn't going to live into his 90s. But he knew that my mother's, all her aunts lived deep into their 90s. My grandmother in the 97. I have an uncle Jesus on my wife's side that lived to 103. It's not just women. Though. 
So, you know, how long is life hollow matches to narrow? And I said, Mom, I said, Dad was worried about Bob and Bob and Carol. She said, Well, what do Bob and Carol have to do? I said, Remember Bob and Carol? Bob did the same job as my father, was employed by the same company, invested his money the same way, and you retired together when you were snowboarding to Florida on the same golf course. And Bob at age 77, if you can look at this, he retired in 2000 at a similar starting point, didn't do as well. And it's not Bob's fault, it's just that that's when we had the uh, the, the dot bomb burst and the 90s and the party kind of ended that first time and we started having some volatility and interest rates started trending lower. And I said, I have some great news. Bob is still on that golf course today, but he's mowing the greens and cleaning the pool part-time at age 77. Yeah, right. sorry. And, and I said, that's what dad was worried about because again, this is a really tricky thing and, and there's gonna be some winners and there's gonna be some losers and nobody really knows because of luck and life are hard variables. So let's, let's advance it along. I, I won't beat that to death, but it's a very impactful story to me. So even when you do all the right things, you, you you sometimes can lose for winning. And that's what this guy said. He said, the markets don't have to go down and stay down to take away half of your retirement savings. You just have to retire in the wrong time. And a, a bear market usually lasts about two, 2.1 years on average. And uh, yes, we're in the bear market uh, today. And I suspect that over the next couple of years, the markets are going to be a little dicey. But you know what? I, I'm not going to bet against America. And I'm not going to bet against the world. I'm not going to bet against capitalism over time. I suspect that things will recover. And I suspect that we will uh, create the next generation of the iPhone or whatever it's going to be that's going to create amazing wealth in our society. And again, a lot of that is, again, it's not your fault. It's not your success. It's just luck. I think Shakespeare summed that. I said, the fault lies not within ourselves, but within our stars, within our, our luck. Are, are we just okay. running the... Are we just yeah. Running? Sorry. And I, I was just, I was just yeah. thinking about what you were saying. And as we, as we go through this, you know, this position where we're seeing the upmarket Hey, I had the the fortunate sequence of the return of retiring into an up market where the market went up for the first three years, where your dad's friend, the market went down for the first three years. But it's yeah. not even that. It's along the timeline. As stuff happens, you know, in the middle of market volatility, do I have a capital call? Do I need something? Do I do I have a you know a medical event that I'm not insured for properly? There's like you can't. You can't predict what's going to happen along that time frame. I mean, the markets are one thing, but it's you know the spending patterns that are so hard to figure yeah. out. And sometimes and we're really well intended because you know the grandchild comes up and says, "I really need some help to get through college, and I'll become a doctor." And you really want to help them, but you know you have to ask the question, "Should I?" Because this chart, I think, just summarizes. Yeah, go to it. This chart just summarizes exactly what you're saying, John. Is that when you have an event, either because you have to withdraw money or because the markets force us to realize losses, we can see that losses are mathematically possible to recover from, but they're asymmetric. And that's something that means that there's a greater uh, sense of loss. I'm gonna show you why. If the market's down 30%, which it was by the way, earlier this year, right. the markets were down 30%, you need, that market has to go up 43% just to get back to 30, that's just math. And once you dig into a hole, it takes more to climb out of it because it's 43% of a smaller number. But what if you're actually taking money out because you have to pay the bills, you have to put food on the table, you, you're trying to help, you're putting money in the collection plate on the weekend uh, to your church or synagogue. Well, how, you know, how, how do you recover from that? And, and you can look at this, if you're withdrawing 5% a year, but I'll call an unsafe withdrawal percentage, on top of the market loss, you need 122% to get back. And that's that fear saying, I don't think I'll ever recover from that because that's a really adult number to recover from. And it's really hard to recover from. And that's, and that's what you see, the stories between Jim and Bob. Uh, if you're blessed with luck, you're going to do better than if you retire at the wrong time. And maybe one or two of you re that are on retired uh, or we're thinking about retiring in December or in November of last year or January or February. And, and you know, everything is going to be great, right? And then suddenly, bam, you know, COVID hits. Did I retire at the right time? And it's going to be very, very scary. So, yeah. Anyway. Extremely scary. Like yeah. this recovery, you know, down 30 to get back to 43. This chart, I I seen different versions of this chart, but I just want to clarify, I just want to or ask. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 122% recovery, 5% for five years. This is over a five-year period, right? Correct. 
over five years, not, not in one year. <laughs> the market's never gone up 122 in one year, but has it really gone up 122 over five years? Believe it or not, it has periodically, oh, sure. you know, uh, uh, and that's one of the reasons and when we talk about why you have to remain invested. But maybe again, our, our focus in retirement should be less on trying to stay on the summit more to, to get through. And maybe it's okay to deaccumulate some of that money as long as we'll have enough. And I think again, that we have to start thinking differently. We need different tools, that, that's what we're talking about. So let's talk about the, the sustainable withdrawal theory. I only let my clients take out a sustainable withdrawal in the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, Ken Fisher, and everybody says 4%. I like to say, what rocket scientist, go ahead, came up with the 4% rule? <laughs> and it was this rocket scientist. He actually has a degree in engineering from MIT uh, in aeronautics and astronautics. Uh, maybe he helped us with the SpaceX launch that day. It was very successful, very exciting. But actually, Bill Bengen, he, uh, he's from New Jersey. And, uh, yep, you know, and he, and he worked in that field for a while. And then he ultimately, he changed careers and became a financial advisor. And he helped his clients, just like John and Ed, he helped you climb the mountain. And back in the 90s, when these pensions were all getting shut down and they were saying, I'm getting a buyout letter and, and I put the money in the IRA and I got some questions. How long will it last? How much can I take? And we had to answer the question. So, so Bill went back and he actually built a spreadsheet of a, of a diversified portfolio, a 50-50 stock bond portfolio. And he looked from the Great Depression all the way to the early 1990s. And he asked the question, what is the maximum safest withdrawal adjusted by inflation? that over a 30 year period, could you have never run out of money? And, and he charted it, and here's that chart. And then Trinity University in, in, in Texas uh, came up with the same theory a couple of years later, and voila, everybody just said the 4% safe withdrawal rate and became the lexicon. And if you look at that, you can see, yeah, but you know, I could have taken a lot more in some years. Never could have taken less. And we asked the question, is the 4% safe withdrawal rate as safe today when interest rates are zero and the market's as volatile as ever, and people are living longer as it was back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, when average family size was three to five kids, not zero to one kid, with a 70% consumer society. I just answered why we're having no deflate, why we're having deflation, by the way. Worldwide, it's just that you know we have fewer consumers and fewer workers entering the workforce. Right now, we're down about 51% of adults working in the workforce. And a lot of that is because a lot of folks are retired. You know, others, of course, have been thrown out of work, but we've never had a 50% workforce participation rate. It's always been two-thirds or higher, and we've never lived through this. And, and Europe is about 10 years in front of this, uh, Japan and China about 20 years in front of that. And you're seeing that these societies have been going and sliding sideways and going nowhere because, again, this lack of consumers because the millennials are forgetting to have children. So that's another thing I can do. If you're a grandparent or a parent, please tell your kids to get to work in the evening. They got a lot of work to do. <laughs> hearing that has changed slightly with this uh, quarantining. I think there's a baby boom in progress. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I really am cautiously optimistic and I'm starting to see my nieces and nephews starting to get married and starting to talk about families. And that's a very, very good thing if you want pensions, social security and our economy to continue, unless we go to a universal basic income, which is a whole other thing. So let's just continue on. But that's yeah, why I just, just before we advance, I just wanted to, you know, when you look at Bill Bengen's assumptions on on the safe max rule, half of the money was invested in bonds, right? So it was right. in the in the intermediate term bonds, which the interest rates during 1926 to 2017 were substantially higher than they are today. We're at a 40, what is it, a 45 year interest rate low at this point. Um, it doesn't bode well for the 50% of the portfolio with interest yeah. rates hopefully rising. What Bill yeah. was saying. As he said, if you retired in, 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 in the Great Depression, uh, you should have bought more stocks. And, and of course, nobody wants to. But is that 4% safe withdrawal rate safe today? And, and I think, again, if you start looking at today's interest rates and today's market volatility and, and uh, family sizes and some world, there's a lot of economists that, that work for, uh, this in this case, uh, T. Rowe Price, and they can crunch numbers. And you'll see powerful software that John and Ed use, and we can crunch numbers, not just looking out a rearview mirror, but trying to forecast a little bit in front of us. And we start adding what are called capital market assumptions that are current and not the 1950s may not manifest itself. Uh, you can look at that 4% safe withdrawal at about a, a split stock bond portfolio, in this case, 60-40, right in the middle of the chart, and say, most prognosticators do not think that's going to be safe today. They're going to say it's 80% safe. And quite frankly, three is the new four. 
And Wade Fow teaches, he's a rock star of retirement income planning, teaches a course at the American College. Uh, and, and I can save you the whole semester of tuition and just say three is the new four. There it is. So three adjusted by inflation should be fine. Four is not safe. And God bless you if you're like that other slide taking out 5% or more, you can see it, that the odds are against you. Yeah. Unless you want to actually invest more aggressively. Yet most people as they get older don't buy more stocks, they buy fewer and they start looking out. And if you look at, if you're taking 6%, looking at 19, if you're buying fewer stocks or down to five, you know, it makes a lot of sense. If you're burying the money in the backyard, you can't grow it for inflation. You can't take more money in the future. You're going to take less on an inflation adjusted basis. Yeah, that's what people do because of fear. They want to hang on to what they have and they hide it. And maybe, just maybe, that's not the right recipe if you want to take more than 3%. You know, Jeff, we kind of joke, John and I, even John Sr., you know, when we started talking about income, these numbers, and we go, oh, you know, if you were getting on a plane from California to New York and they told you, you know, had an 80% chance to get there and a 20% chance not, and Close by enough. the way, I'm going to add this, you got a 20% chance of getting COVID now if you get on that plane. Forget about even crashing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You probably would get on the plane, would you? <laughs> Which is again why a lot of people, and I know that you have to arm wrestle some of your clients that are listening in saying, you know, should I be investing? But if you look at it, look at that 5%, because that I think when you start adjusting by fees and taxes, if you want to spend for, you better be at least be having some money for taxes. So look at that 5%. What's one of the ways to actually increase your odds? Believe it or not, it's not to bury it in the backyard. It's to do what? It's to put more in the markets. Right. And there's that, there's that that volatility issue that you deal with because of what you were talking about with your dad is that sequence like it could there's a higher probability that it could happen but i could be the one that it didn't happen because right. of the sequence of when i walked out the front door to return we we're just rolling the dice yeah <laughs> crossing the rubicon and, and that's the thing how do you know it's not all bad news that we're going to talk about ways to fix that but but let's move on from some very important disclosure from our sponsors. There's a lot of disclosures here, a lot of detail. I just want to make sure that everybody reads this later on. We'll put the slides in the handouts. If you can't sleep tonight, these will surely get you there. Okay. It will help, it will help you sleep. Basically just as garbage in, garbage out, right? It's just a mathematical model. Nobody can predict the future. Uh, so how long is life? That's the question. How long is life? Well, if you looked at Social Security and you see these stories in the newspaper, if you were a male born today, 83, Female 87, because that's from birth. That's our Social Security life expectancy last year, and that's true. But is that really true if you don't die of childhood leukemia or die in a car accident and you actually make it to full retirement age? Is it still 83 and 87? No, because if you leave all of the all of that risk behind us and you actually do make it to retirement, believe it or not, the typical male will live to 88 and the typical female will live to 90. That's how long life is. And now you start to see that dichotomy. That, that's a huge difference. Five years for men and three years for women. And, and again, a lot of people are looking at that number and they're going to say, hey, look, at you know, if I'm 70 years old and I'm going to die by 83, then I've got more than enough. And well, you know, that might be true. It might not be. But I will tell you something about typical or median life expectancy. Unless everybody dies on their 88th birthday, that means half of the people who made it 88 are still going to be living in the future looking for a paycheck. Half the women who live to 90 are still going to be living in the future looking for a paycheck. The other half, sadly, have not. So that it's it's volatile. We don't really know. But again, we can look at families, we can look at things, and, and we, we make some predictions. And one of the more interesting predictions that's really giving the government some, some pause is finances. Believe it or not, if you're poor and you live in a trailer, you don't live as long as if you're wealthy and live in a nice home. Who knew? This is the nasty secret of pensions and longevity, something the insurance industry learned hundreds of years ago. Dukes and duchesses live longer than peasants. Who knew? Well, no. But here it is. You can see that, that if you're in the bottom 20% of household income and you're a female in otherwise normative health, your life expectancy is 78, but if you're in good health, it's 92. Why are, is Bill Bang and everybody talking about a 30-year retirement? Because what's the median retirement age for a female in this country? It's a very consistent number for the past 40 years. What, what's the retirement age? 62. 62. Yeah, at 30 years, 92. That means the typical wealthy person has a 30-year retirement. There it is. That's why yeah. we're talking about it. So again, you know, sometimes, again, that retirement, years in retirement might actually be longer than, than some people have worked. And that's why we have this problem. 
that we have enough and whatever. Men, you know, not quite as easy. We, we have it tough. 78 in the bottom, 88 at the top. I tell my wife all the time we have it rough. She doesn't believe me. But again, you know, we have it rough. Maybe the, maybe maybe the, there's some good news. <laughs> I don't, you know, as long as long. But, you know, believe it or not, the Clark household, I, just like my dad, I can't worry just about me. I got to worry about us together. And my wife's a few years younger than I am. So then, you know, it gets even more challenging. And the um, the president, you know, calls Ozzie and Harriet, but now she's a school teacher and works and has a pension, thank goodness. But it's just a small pension continuum. And we hope that it's funded because like New Jersey, Colorado's in trouble. So the, so the last question, and I think our last topic that we want to explore is some of the good news, you know. Can John and Ed actually design a plan where failure still works? Failure doesn't mean moving in with the kids. Failure means if the worst case scenario, I'll still be okay. Maybe I can't gift as much as I want or leave as much to the kids and grandkids, but I, at least me and mom are going to be fine. Can we design a plan where failure is acceptable? And oh, by the way, if we don't fail, success is really nice. And I think that we can. And here's the answer. And I think it's, I think when you, when you, when you embrace this, this question, nobody wants to fail. There's not a single client that I've ever met, maybe one, but that single client I've ever met that wants to fail. There's always one. There's always one, right? And everybody, you know, like if when you enter the retirement zone, you want to have, you want to live the life that you're living today while you're working. You want that income to continue. You want to have that inflation hedge. You want to have that buffer so you can take, you know, take the family on a longer vacation and do things and and go through all those pressures and then still pass all that wealth on to your family. And those are the ideals. And then it's this, this pressure that just keeps coming out of us. And without the safety nets and the things that we, we discussed, failure becomes really stressful, like really stressful. Um, and it, believe it or not, it shortens your life expectancy. You know, people that are underprepared live fewer years in retirement because, you know, Part of us just want to give up. And what's interesting <laughs> is people that are prepared not only live longer, they live longer and are happier and are less stressed. That's really is the stress. And we can control for income and control for a lot. It's just that people that are prepared will tend to live several years longer than people who are ill-prepared, even in the same relative normal health education level. So it's your job working with John and Ed uh, to be the best prepared so that, again, you can have the greatest peace of mind and now, again, we'll find ways to make this work. So going back to a different study, we can see, again, under the old conventional wisdom, uh, I can see this from Merrill Lynch, T. Rowe Price, Jackson's own internal research. If you take out a 4% sustainable withdrawal and adjust it by inflation, you have about an 80% chance, not 100, like the safe max days of Bill Bengen in the 90s. But still 80% is probably saying far more likely than not you're going to be okay, but there's going to be a certain amount of people that are not. And if you really dramatically want to increase that, can advance the slide and you'll see that uh, what Wade Files says three is the new four, but even 3% is not 100% safe because again, the markets could be zero and you might live more than 30 years. And so really it's it's approaching success, but it's not 100% safe, but it's certainly a lot closer to 100 than 80, 96 in this example. And oh, by the way, there's another financial product that General Motors is using now. Wow. There's another financial product that Teresa Gerducci said the government should be using now, and that's to actually turn your money over to pension administrators and commercial insurance companies, where you can actually take more than three, more than four, maybe even more than five, with a 100% probability of success. It's called and what? That, there, that, just want to go back to a conversation that you, that you brought earlier. In December, December 23rd, government passed the SECURE Act, which seems like a blur. We've all forgotten about it, but it's history, but it's very important. And not a lot of people have embraced it. And I, and I know Jackson has, and I know we've been trying to embrace that into the retirement planning side, is that the use of guaranteed income products during that accumulation phase, setting up to come down this mountain, Yes. This law allows this to happen. And I think it's probably one of the biggest, most important conversations that has to happen because it does exactly what you're talking about here. It potentially raises the distribution rate. It does. By about 20%. It, it takes the failure out. 
And yeah, if, yeah like, we're hearing yeah. the news that retirement income products like annuities cost more because we have to disclose prices. But when you're looking at it from an income, and, and it does from an accumulation, there's a cost. But from a retirement income standpoint, it's actually 20% more effective with greater probability of success. And this is the funny thing. How do we do this? And what do we know that you don't? Mm. Continue aside, I'm going to answer that question. Because at the end of the day, you rightfully fear running out of money in retirement more than death, according to the surveys that we have. And sometimes running out of money causes death and deaths of despair. So, you know, how do we do that? And, and what financial products do we have? And this is what one of the researchers, Mushroom Leslie, I quoted him earlier, is actually uh, in Canada. This is a worldwide trend in Europe and Canada. And, you know, the nation of Chile actually amended their internal revenue code 25 years ago to insert section 401k. You know, this is a worldwide phenomenon. How do we how do we make a 401k or an IRA start looking more like a pension? And the answer is the research says all all research says these retirement income products called annuities are central, fundamental, and core to answering that question. And oh, by the way, they're not new. They've been around for hundreds of years. We actually solved this problem hundreds of years ago. And this is what General Motors is doing. They're taking all their billions of dollars and saying, "Hey, New York Life. Hey, Mass Mutual. Hey, Jackson. Here." You help us because we can't do it. We only have a few hundred thousand retirees. You've got several million. Next slide. Because at the end of the day, when you have millions of people, I don't know how long your life is. And I don't know how long Ed's life is and how long God's life is. I don't know how long my life is. I can make some estimates and guesses, but they're just estimates and guesses. Jackson doesn't know how long your life is. But what we do have a reasonable probability because we have mathematicians called actuaries that study this. They're going to say, hey, look it, I've got several million people, and I don't know when any one person will die, but I'm reasonably certain how mortality should unfold over time. And we can capture that trend, and we can price for that trend, and we can do what's called risk pooling. And oh, by the way, when you have hundreds of billions of dollars like Jackson does and other major commercial insurance companies that I just named, we have much greater financial resources to get us through these momentary COVID-19 lapses when the market's down for a couple of years. You see the difference? We have a whole different scale and we have a whole different outlook because where 25% of you, if you're married, one of you is going to be alive looking for a paycheck at age 97. My actuaries say, whew, thank goodness that 75% of our policyholders are not going to be looking for a paycheck at age 97. So we're pricing for a completely different outcome than you have to prepare, right, John? I mean, I suspect that you're preparing, unless you have great knowledge that you have clients that are in very poor health, you're probably uh, preparing most of your clients to live for at least 30 years or longer in retirement. And, you know, it's just a great point. It's 25 years ago, my father and I, when we started doing plans, we said, we started looking at these financial plans that were being produced by this great software because it was the software boom, right? You know, we used to yeah. do it all on a yellow pad and then software came out and software was going to be the solution to, oh, this is great. And you're looking at these reports and it has you running out of money at age 82, age 83. And I remember my father and I grabbed one. It was like this beautifully bound thing that was just wonderful. Yeah. And I opened it up and I'm going through it. We were in the meeting together and I turned to the client, I go, so at age 82, you and your wife run out of money. You have yeah. no more income left. You have no more assets left. And the answer is probably true. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, is that, are you aware if this is the assumption in the plan? And he looked at me, he goes, no. And at that moment, my father and I said, we're gonna build plans to 100 plus or minus. Because the yeah. numbers look better. The numbers look better on a Monte Carlo, on an actuarial table. If I build your plan to age 85, in reality is, if I go to 100, I got a lot more pressure because I got an extra 15 years of inflation. I got an extra 15 years of financial pressure and all kinds of great stuff. But if, if the plan doesn't work, then it's not a real plan. You gotta build a plan. And the only way to do it, you can't go alone. You can't, we can't go alone down this road. We have to have a team of resources. You know, a percentage of the money should be pooled. It should be protected. 
the income now, is what I spend. You know, whether I, or not I have principal is another thing. It's the income that I don't want to ever lose. You, you have to. This is Robert Merton said, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics. The only way to have a successful retirement is to answer those darn questions. Answer those down questions, which is what does this pile translate into in a paycheck for life? And if you're going to take it out through sustainable withdrawal theory and let fear manage that, then 3% or less is what you should be taking out. But if that's not enough, what you should do is just replace the pension. And if you replace the pension, then, and it, by the way, it usually only takes about 40 to 50% of your investments to replace that missing pension to cover the basic necessities of retirement. That means the other half of your wealth can actually be invested. And when the market goes down, you can ride it back up because you're not taking it out of the markets when the market's down. And maybe you can grow up for your kids and do things because that pension and Social Security working together are the foundation. So if you don't have a pension or like mine, your pension was frozen 15 years ago, replace the pension, find out what it takes to lay that baseline, put that in there and then invest for growth and invest with certainty and let that stress and that fear disappear because some people, it won't work out, but you're gonna be okay because your pension and social security will take you through. Other people are gonna die like my father with more money than they started with and hey, I'll, I'll be maybe a, a, an indirect beneficiary of that should my mother, uh, 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 not spend it all. And I hope that she does spend more of it than my father did. So again, that's really the whole key to this. And annuities are literally, that's the Webster's de definition of systematic periodic payment for life. And if you add that to social security and solve, we can solve with extreme precision and guarantee that pension, then you're going to be a much better investor when the markets get volatile, much, much better. And you're actually going to build wealth and live longer and happier. So why aren't annuities more popular? That's the question. If all, if all researchers agree that annuities are central, fundamental, and core, then why is it such an arm wrestling to get the New York Times and others? And now the Secure Act says, by the way, everybody should be looking at annuities. And they put in a law, and it was very controversial. You'll have people in the Financial Planning Association of Arizona that say, oh my goodness, and they did. We, we should sue the government for saying that because those things cost more. No, they don't cost more if your goal is income. Yes, they do cost more if your goal is accumulation. Does that make sense? It's, we're, answer, we're solving different problems. It's accumulating versus deaccumulating. And when you put the focus on accumulation plus insurance, only about 20% of Americans say that's a good deal. But with the SECURE Act, when they actually look at it, even Susie Orman looked at this research on the Oprah Winfrey channels talking about how annuities can help solve women's retirement costs which is a complete 180 from where she was a few years ago before she actually saw this presentation because I showed it to her. And she's a smart lady. Yeah, she's a very smart lady. Dave Ramsey, same thing. We showed you him know, his research and he said, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe annuities can fit as part of that plan to replace the missing pension. And if you fear longevity and volatile markets, not everybody does. Maybe you're not that healthy or, or maybe you just don't care. I think most people do. And that's what we're seeing here. The vast majority of people, nearly three quarters say, yeah, yeah, I'd I love a product that will give me a paycheck for life, even if I live to 100 and beyond. I think that's yeah. useful. I think that's I think useful. keeping it simple too, Jeff, and exactly what you just said is what we kind of talk about it is why, why do people love pensions? Why do I love Social Security? Those checks show up on a monthly basis, and it, it, goes, it goes back to the conversation of it takes the stress off of worrying about the markets, worrying about how you're going to fund your, your income and you actually enjoy a retirement, which tends, then you get live longer. So, and by the way, I just wanted to say, I'm gonna go back to John's dad, not only John's mentor, my mentor, so I hope you listen, big guy. Um, you know, he always said, we, we were talking about 80% success on the 4% at that portfolio level, but there is no 80, 90, 90%, 98%. You either make it or don't make it. And those was those were his words. And he's absolutely right. You want to just, we can't plan for it not to make it at any percentage. It's got to work. So we and to make to failure a success. And right. again, do that by managing our expectations, by investing thoughtfully, and by replacing pensions and social security to cover the basics of life that come heck or I water, if everything else was lost, this will get us through. That's the whole answer to this whole equation. And that's what, again, the government is starting to 
to, to, to get back out and financial planners. And I've gone into financial planning forums where people just, just think annuity is a four letter word and I show them this material and, they, and, and I literally had this one guy came up to me and said, and he was uh, older, uh, a lot older than I was. He said, I can count on one finger how many annuities I've recommended in my lifetime. And then with a tear in his eye, he said, I was wrong. Mm. I was wrong because I know lots of Bobs and I thought it was me. And I thought, what did I fail at? How did I do it wrong? And I said, it wasn't technically you, it was the markets and they looked too long. But yes, what could you have done as their advisor to make failure palatable? And, I, and, that, and to look at the basics and cover for the basics and then be a better investor. And, and I think there's, you know, when you look at the marketing that's going on, right? And the marketing in the industry, there is this desire for financial institutions or investment managers or annuity companies for 100%. This solution is 100% of everything that you should be in. And that's where the problem comes into is there's never been a point in history where anybody should put 100% of anything into one type of thing. Exactly. And that's what kind of gives us a bad name also is because you've heard the, you know, the baloney strategies that are, are going to, to, you know, it's like a miracle and it's not a miracle and it requires, even when you do this, like I have so many clients right now that are between 65 and 70 that are taking their social security and doing the calculations and they're shocked by how much money they're actually receiving and they're kind of like as much as money as I put into it, and as much money as I'm not getting out of it, I'm really happy that I'm getting it. <laughs> right. And it's that consistency in the inflation aspect of that money or the potential that makes it really interesting. But they also feel they feel vulnerable within it, too, because, you know, do they have too many other assets? So so that pressure never goes away. So taking a portion of this and i i've never really embraced or looked at that pooling concept the way you've talked about it in this presentation is that it goes back to the traditional means of insurance like ben franklin if i you know house and fire if the house fires i'm all by myself but if i pool my resources together when my house burns down i can get my house rebuilt right this is i pool and if my income, if the if the markets don't give me the sequence or I live too long or inflation is higher than I'm thinking, you know, or expected or predicted or thought about, there's this stream of income that I that has is protected. That's powerful. Super it powerful. Is. It is. And I think, again, you'll, you'll see the vast majority of people when you look at it in that term say, you know, be foolish not to consider it if, again, I fear for myself or my spouse, one of us is. Uh, is, is going to have a uh, normative or longer longevity. Uh, we covered an awful lot, and, and really the bottom line that we're telling our, uh, when I when I give this uh, just just out out in the lecture circuit or to advisors and accountants, you know, you, this is hard. If it was easy, you know, Social Security would be fully funded. It's not. If it was easy, General Motors would still have a, a pension plan for its non-union employees. They don't. It's it's hard, but you're not alone. GE would have a $31 billion deficit in their retirement plan. You know, and you can see why. This, so, is, not, this is not easy. This is not easy. But you're not alone. And John and, and Ed have tools and, and, and have approaches and you're doing the right thing uh, by harnessing them. And I think that puts you uh, head and shoulders above people who just pick up the New York Times or turn on a television commercial and just buy whatever the miracle retirement income product is uh, of today because it's not that easy and Amazon also, I want to commend you for making this uh yeah I want to commend you for making this a a two and a half hour presentation that we condensed down to an hour and it was pretty concise Thank because you. the the topic that we're talking about I think is the most important part of the retirement planning process is realizing the 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 pressure that is out there that it's not easy, that the variables, and you know, I think one of the disclaimers that I have all the time, and pretty much everybody that's on this call has heard me say this. Uh, there's a couple of new people on the call today that have not heard this, is that 
our disclaimer is that everything we're about to talk about is most likely not going to happen. It's not going to happen exactly the way we think it's going to happen. The tax rates are going to change. The interest rates are going to change. Your need for money is going to change. I was talking to a client the other day, and we were talking about how much money they needed for, for retirement. And I, you know, it was this linear calculation where you need 200,000 this year and 206 next year and 212 the following year. That's never going to be true, right? So the assumptions are wrong. If the assumptions are wrong, the outcome can't be predictable. And that's why Ed and I really focus heavily on one-year plans. And we've been doing this for a very long time where we're focused on you do a plan, you update it, you review it, you rethink, you, you see what happened, and then you reset it and you refocus it and you re you re-envision it. And I think it's it's such an important thing. Uh, Ed, you were it's just a long-term long plan with those one-year snippets stacked on top of each other. So it's like you know we still yeah, have a vision, but you got you got to reevaluate it every year. So. Yeah. Got to reevaluate it every year, and I think. There is no set it and forget it. Um, you know, what was that? Popeil, uh, the pocket, uh, JP would know it. Um, the, uh, the magic chef thing, you put everything in, you walked away and you came back and it's fine. Retirement planning is not that. Uh, we put together some resources. I just want to finish up. I know we're at the hour mark. Um, we put together a navigating financial pressure guide. It's something that we had that we put together uh, we repackaged it so that it's available for on the website um, for download. It's a great way to think about what's happening. Ed and I have recorded a few podcasts that really dive into the, the nine components of navigating the pressure. Um, we put together 19 sources of retirement income. We have a podcast. Actually, we had a podcast, Jeff, that went live today on utilizing annuity income. It nice. just happened. It just happened to come out at the same time. Um, so I'm really, I, I saw the post this morning. I'm like, I, I did that. I don't know a few weeks ago, and the fact that it came out live now, I'm like, I love it when a plan comes together. The headline in the New York Times today, and they're telling you how Social Security is your most valuable retirement asset. And they did the math just for somebody with $1,200 a month, which, by the way, should be uh, a fraction of what you're receiving on this call. Uh, and that's about $400,000 set aside for a male and about a half a million for a female. Yeah, it's a lot of money. A lot of people a lot have a half a million dollars laying around when you're, you're getting $1,200 a month Social Security checks. It really is. But that's the pension. Yeah. It takes a lot of yeah. money. So, you know, then recently, um, two weeks ago, we got the, the copies of It's Your Wealth. Keep it. It's out. It's going live on Amazon June 23rd. Um, I've been sending out copies to people. Um, if you, you know, we're, that's in the process of being sent out, but it'll be live on Amazon June 23rd. Um, I'm hoping a lot of what we talked about today is in this book, and it's in the it's in the the setup um, and how you know the success of a, of a plan comes from having 30 to 40 really good one-year plans. Um, it's not just, you know, the, hey, I picked off this stock at the bottom of the market and I made a lot of money. It's what happens after that um, is really the important thing. So, Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing this wisdom. Anything that you want to say before we part ways? Now, I just want to thank you guys. Uh, I, I really, really uh, enjoyed sharing some thoughts and to everybody who was attending. I hope that, that uh, again, at the end of the day, you're not just looking at how scary it is. I think the message is that if you have a plan and you've, you, you, you know, plan so that at least if everything fails, you're still fine. There's a lot of comfort there. Have a plan, have a baseline and then build on that plan and, and feel free to update that plan. But that baseline should stay right there. And that should be the one consistent in life. What, what, what's the basic income that I need just to, for food, clothing, and shelter and, and the very basic things that we need to do? Have that covered and then everything else will take care of itself. If you yeah. pay it. yeah. Thank you. Ed, any closing remarks? No, you know, I just, uh, I just wanted to say a point that, you know, if you potentially could have more income in a more secure fashion in retirement, why would you say no? 
you know, and it actually, it actually takes pressure off, like we were talking about, oh, you still have your portfolio on the other side, and maybe you're still taking a withdrawal, but now you're taking a much less withdrawal from that portfolio, which takes the pressure again off the portfolio to, you know, potentially grow. I mean, it, it's all, it, it just gets, it gets better, you know, it's not, I always say, you know, when you, you kind of self-insure when you just go, okay, I'm going to go at this, and I'm going to do it in the, the default way, and I'm going to have, I'm going to take income from whatever retirement assets, non-retirement assets, and you know, guess what? You've got to, you got as as Jeff said, you got to endure the market volatility, the withdrawal rate question, which is going down. It's not going up at this point. We're not back in the 80s when the CD was 17 percent. That made retirement income. Uh, you, you know, do you really need to call us? Um, <laughs> so that's all I'm saying. It, it just it didn't need to call you. It didn't say that way. <laughs> yeah. It's a part of the puzzle. It's just a piece of the puzzle. It never should be the whole thing, and you just it creates options of flexibility in the plan. That's all. And in the moment in 1981, when the 10-year Treasury was 15.81, nobody needed to call us, but they didn't know the green line or the road they were following was all paved with you know the Wizard of Oz, right? But then the reality is, coming down that mountain has been really, really crazy. And it's been a mountain, it's been a downturn. And a lot of people have, you know, stopped along the way and made camp and never made it down. Um, you know, that's a interesting thing. So I want to talk about this all day long, right? All now. day. By the way, <laughs> um, I got to go. <laughs> we all got to go. But I appreciate it and thank you. And I uh, look forward to hearing your comments. Um, and if you don't have this, in your plan you want us to take a look at it let's do it thank you thank you bye-bye welcome to the end of the video smallwood wealth management is an investment advisor representative the opinions expressed by smallwood wealth management and guests on this show are their own all statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable although it should not be relied upon as such any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice, information presented for this educational purposes only. Moreover, no listener should assume that any discussions or information presented serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized advice from Smallwood Wealth Management or from any other investment professional and is not intended as an offer of solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities investments, or investment strategies. Smallwood Wealth Management is not a law firm or an accounting firm, and no portion of this presentation should be interpreted as legal, accounting, or tax advice. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as a recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Thank you for listening.